all of us, we all like things to be clean, right? I mean, admittedly, if we went around the, the room and tried to define what clean means, we would get very different definitions from different people. We would get very different definitions of cleanliness. In fact, if I walked into a room and, and I said it was clean, you may look at that room and say, uh, that's not clean as far as I'm concerned. We have different definitions of clean, but given the option between clean and dirty, all of us would much rather that things be clean. Our home, our car, our skin, um, the places that we eat, the restaurants that we go to, the plates that we eat from, our teeth. We want things to be clean. And keeping things clean is big business. Next time you're at your local big box store, take a moment and just look down the aisles that are filled with cleaning products. They cannot be contained in just one aisle. We have a cleaning product for everything. If it can get dirty, I promise you that there is a product out there that promises to make it clean. We have products for our pets. We have products for our floors. In fact, we have products for whatever kind of material your floor is, whether it's carpet or tile or, or whether it's hardwood. We have different products for everything, for our teeth and for our skin. There are a million products out there that promise to make us clean. And if there aren't enough in the store, then there's even more on your television screen. Commercials that last for about a minute and a half that promise a new level of cleanliness for your clothes and for your house and for your family. We like things to be clean. We want things clean. In fact, in 2011, the cleaning products industry, this is excluding the services, the, the cleaning services, just the products themselves, grossed $52 billion dollars in 2011. We like things to be clean, and that's just the United States alone. But there's a problem when, that we face when it comes to cleaning things, and that is, how do you know when something is fully clean? How do you really know when something is completely clean, that the job is done and that it's, it's, it's spick and span and everything that is done. There was a product that used to tell us that we knew uh, when we were fully clean. Maybe you remember it. It's a soap. It used to be, the commercials used to be on about every five seconds. And at the end of the commercials, maybe you remember what they said. They would say, you're not fully clean unless you're zestfully, zestfully clean. That's when you knew you were fully clean is when you were zestfully clean. But how do you know that something's fully clean? Because when it comes to cleaning, there's really two things that we have to pay attention to. Two things that we always have to monitor. The first is what we can see, and the second is what we can't see. If we're going to make sure that something is really clean, then we not only have to pay attention to what our eyes can see that is dirty, the grime and the filth and the dirt and the sludge or whatever it is, but we have to pay attention to all those things that we cannot see, the germs and the bacteria and everything else that's left behind. If you held a dinner at your house tonight and afterwards your kitchen was filled with pots and pans and the pots and pans were all covered in different pieces of food that were left behind, if you want to get those pots and pans clean and all the plates and the silverware, silverware, there better be another step than just taking water and rinsing all of the food particles off of the plates. 
we would all agree that at that point they're not clean. They're not yet clean until there's soap and hot water involved, getting rid of all of those things that we cannot see. And when it comes to cleanliness, the stuff that we cannot see is really the stuff we need to be worried about. That's the thing we really have to pay attention to. The things we cannot see are the things that we really want to make sure are taken care of and, and gone. Last week, my wife and I, we were in the hospital. We had our, we had our son was born last week, which was great. My, uh, my wife did all the work. That's right. It was great. My wife did all the work, and I'll take all the credit, but we were there last week. And when we were in the hospital, you know, there's a large variety of people that enter the room while you're there with nurses and doctors and all of those different people. The first thing that everybody did when they walked into the room was they walked over to the wall and there was a dispenser there. And the first thing they did was dispense sanitizer onto their hands and rub it all over their hands and on their forearms. Now, no one that walked into the room looked dirty to me. They all looked very clean. Their clothes and jackets and scrubs were unstained. Their hands were free of dirt or any sort of other yeah, substance that I could see on their hands. But at the same time, they wanted to make sure that they were clean. And the only way they could make sure that they were actually clean before they touched our infant son was to deal with the things that I couldn't see that might have been there. More and more, we're aware of the things that we can see. Ten years ago, those little bottles of hand sanitizer that you have, ten years ago, nobody carried those. But now everybody carries those. We carry those everywhere. They're in every mom's purse, in every school classroom, in every office desk. In fact, now there's hand sanitizer station uh, in any lobby of any store that you walk into. When you walk into the big stores, you walk into Target or, or Market Basket or any of these stores that you walk into, there is hand sanitizer right there. And I, I don't remember just going to the store and picking up all sorts of infectious diseases 15 and 20 years ago, but apparently we did because now it has to be there. The airport has it, everywhere has it. Because more and more, we are concerned, not just with cleaning what we can see, but cleaning what we cannot see. And we understand that it's really what we can't see that could cause us the most harm. It's really what we can't see that needs to be taken care of if something is going to be clean. When Jesus walked on this earth, he dealt with a group of people that were very concerned about being clean. They were very concerned about keeping things clean and maintaining cleanliness and, and keeping order. They were called the Pharisees. And the Pharisees weren't just concerned about physical cleanliness. That was certainly a part of what they were concerned about. But they were concerned about spiritual cleanliness. This is what they did. The Pharisees' job was to make sure that they themselves and all the other people remained spiritually clean. In the Old Testament, if you've ever read the Old Testament or paid attention to any of those, those first few books in the Bible, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, those sorts of books, when you get in those books, you'll see God giving his people, the Israelites, all sorts of laws to live by, all sorts of laws that are to govern the way that they live. Now, it was the Pharisees' job, the Pharisees' job to make sure that the law was upheld, the Pharisees were the keepers of the law. They knew the law, they interpreted the law, and they made sure that the other people in the community paid attention to the law and followed the law. 
And all of it was in an effort to remain spiritually clean. What happens when Jesus encounters the Pharisees is that in what is a great shock to them, and I'm sure many of the people who knew the Pharisees, is that Jesus, when he encounters the Pharisees, tells the Pharisees that even though they are making all these efforts to remain spiritually clean, that they are, in fact, very spiritually dirty. And this morning, just for a few minutes, we're going to talk about why it is that Jesus tells these Pharisees that in spite of all that they're doing to remain clean, they are, in fact, very spiritually dirty. And we're going to ask the question, what does it mean for us? Could it be that we think we're spiritually clean when maybe we're not? In Mark chapter 7, verse 1, we see this interaction that takes place between uh, Jesus and these keepers of the law, the Pharisees. Mark writes, The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. And then in parentheses here, Mark kind of helps us understand this culturally. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the traditions of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? Let me, let me tell you a little bit of what's happening here. The Pharisees, because it was their job to make sure that the people kept the law, they decided to, over the years and over the hundreds of years that were between God giving the law and Jesus walking this earth, they made up a whole new set of laws, a whole new set of rules. And Mark calls them here the traditions of the elders. And those rules were designed to make sure that nobody ever got close to breaking the actual Law. So if God set a law and God said the speed limit is 60 miles an hour, the Pharisees would go and they would tell the people the speed limit is 40 miles an hour. And the idea was to set up a fence so that if God set the law at 60 miles an hour and they set the law at 40 miles an hour, the Pharisees and the people would never be in danger of actually breaking God's law because they would be keeping an even more stringent law. And this whole washing of the hands bit comes out of the fact that in Exodus chapter 30, God gave a law for the priests. And he said to the priests, before you go into the tabernacle and before you offer sacrifices, you are to wash your hands. And he described that there was to be this ceremonial washing of the hands. He said, make a bronze basin. This is Exodus chapter 30. God's talking to Moses. He says, make a bronze basin with its bronze stand for washing. Place it between the tent of meeting and the altar. That's the tabernacle and the altar. And put water in it. Aaron and his sons, those are the priests, are to wash their hands and feet with water from it. So God set up this law that the priests were to wash their hands, a ceremonial washing. The Pharisees and the traditions of the people over hundreds of years between Exodus and Jesus walking on the earth had made it so that anybody, before they did many things, but especially before they ate, whether you were a priest or just someone that attended the synagogue, 
that you were supposed to participate in a ceremonial washing of your hands. And then there was this benediction that was read. A benediction that was read after the lay people washed their hands. I think it's the next slide there, John. Blessed be thou, O Lord, King of the universe, who sanctified us by thy laws and commanded us to wash the hands. Now the tradition says that God commanded each and every person to wash their hands. But God didn't necessarily command that. He commanded that the priests do it. But the Pharisees put a fence around the law to make sure that nobody broke the law. The question that the Pharisees asked Jesus, why don't your disciples wash their hands ceremonially before they eat? The question that he asks them is really a much bigger question. They're not just upset that Jesus doesn't let, have his disciples wash his, their hands before they eat. The Pharisees are upset because time and time again already in his ministry, Jesus has discounted these traditions of the elders, these extra rules. Over and over again, Jesus has discounted them and not followed them and not paid attention to them. And so the Pharisees are getting very upset because this is their job to make sure that people uphold these traditions, to make sure that people uphold the law. And Jesus and the disciples come in and they don't pay attention at all. So the question that they're asking is a much bigger question. It's not just Jesus. Jesus, why are your disciples not ceremonially washing their hands before they eat? The bigger question is, Jesus, why time and time again do you discount our traditions and make them seem like they're not important? And in Mark chapter 7, verse 6, this is what Jesus says. He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, for their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. When God gave the law to his people, He told his people that he's a holy and a pure God. And he requires a holy and a pure people. And so when the people tried to uphold the law, they realized very quickly that they couldn't do it. When the people tried to live up to the standard of God's law, they realized very quickly it was impossible. And what happened in that moment that God gave the law and the people realized that it was impossible was it gave the opportunity for the people to humble themselves before God and to come into relationship with God and to say, God, you are God and we are not. And apart from your mercy, apart from your grace, we are in big trouble because we can't live up to this law that you've given us. The idea was that the law that God gave would generate humility from the people and relationship with God. But the Pharisees insisted that they could keep the law, that they could make enough rules, that they could keep the law, and that it would be fine. And they thought very highly of themselves. And ironically, in their efforts to keep God's law, they removed God from the equation. They said, God, we don't really need you. We can do this. Whatever you give, we'll just set it a little bit more strict, and we'll uphold this ourselves. We can do this. And they thought very highly of themselves. And so Jesus says, you honor me with, God says, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. 
You say you're keeping my, my law, but you're so full of yourself that, that, that there's no relationship with God anymore. In, in 2010, the United Kingdom version of Wired magazine, which I read every month, the United Kingdom version of Wired magazine ran an article, and they talked about research that was being done at the University of Toronto. And at the University of Toronto, they took 58 students, and half of them, they had come into a room and washed their hands with hand sanitizer to make their hands feel clean. Then they gave them six moral issues to rank. And they said, how do you feel about a person who smokes? How do you feel about a person who commits adultery? How do you feel about a person who does whatever the moral thing was that they had in that list? And what they found was, is that the people who had washed their hands before they rated those, before they judged the other people, judged the people much more harshly than the people who did not wash their hands. They said it was a significant finding that the people who used hand sanitizer and felt clean externally judged much harsher. And so they thought, we got to try this again. And this time they got a few hundred students. And they brought the students into the classroom, and they had the students read a paragraph. And the paragraph said, half the students read a paragraph that said, my hair feels clean and light. My skin feels soft and washed. My breath smells great. And they read those statements. Then they judged the moral issues. The other half came in and they read a paragraph that said, my hair feels greasy and oily. My skin feels unwashed. My breath smells bad. Then they judged the moral issues. And again, the people who had read the statements about feeling clean judged much more harshly than the people who felt dirty. And this is right where the Pharisees were. They felt so good about themselves from all the rule keeping and all the great laws that they had made they could do this without God. And they felt so good about themselves that God said, your heart's not even, Jesus said, your heart's not even in this anymore. You're so full of pride. And you're thinking of yourself so more highly than you ought to. We read the, and Jesus said this after he'd addressed the Pharisees. This is verse 14 of chapter 7. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me. Everyone, and understand this, nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he said? Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on. What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from, within, for from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. It's important to notice that Jesus doesn't disagree with the Pharisees that people need to be made spiritually clean. Jesus agrees with the Pharisees that people are spiritually unclean and need to be made clean. That's something that for our modern day mindset makes us feel a little bit uncomfortable. 
We don't really like to think about people as being unclean. We don't like to think of ourselves as being spiritually unclean. We like to think of ourselves as being basically good. And people as being basically good. And in fact, our, our world shouts over and over that people are good and that people are clean. And so this idea that really deep down inside we're, we're broken and unclean doesn't sit well with our hearts and our minds in today's world. And maybe you're here this morning and you would say that. You would say, no, people are not unclean. People are, are clean. They're good. And I would just ask that you would consider if people are basically clean and basically good, then why do all of us live with such regret? Why do we all live with such guilt? Why do we live our lives to prove other people wrong? Why are we always in competition with other people? Why are we still trying to, to prove to someone from years ago that we're better than they thought we were? Why do we promise ourselves that when we get to a certain stage in life and we make a certain amount of money and we have a certain position that we'll be satisfied and then we aren't? Why is it so hard to forgive and be forgiven? I think if we're honest with ourselves, in the quietness of our own hearts, we know that deep down inside, there is something inside of us inside of our souls and inside of our hearts that needs to be made clean. And Jesus agrees with that. He agrees with the Pharisees that people are spiritually unclean and need to be made clean. That people are spiritually broken and need to be made whole. And we live in a world that thinks if we can just shout loud enough if we can shout loud enough that people are good and people are clean, then maybe this feeling inside of us in the depths of our soul, this emptiness, this void, this feeling that we are unclean, maybe if we shout loud enough that people are clean, that that empty feeling will just eventually go away. If we're honest with ourselves, it's still there inside of all of us. Jesus doesn't disagree with the Pharisees that people need to be made spiritually clean. He disagrees with their method. Jesus says to the Pharisees, all you're worried about is what you can see. All you're worried about is what you can see. You're worried about the external. You're worried about, about the actions. You're worried about the greed and the lewdness and, and the immorality and all of those things. You're so worried about the external that you're missing. That just like with physical cleanliness, it's more important to pay attention to what you cannot see. In the same way with spiritual cleanliness, it is much more important to pay attention not to what you can see, not the action that you can see, but to the peace that you cannot see. Jesus said, you're asking the wrong question. Don't ask, how do we fix people's behavior? Ask, where does that behavior come from? And how do we fix that? Jesus said, those, out, those behaviors aren't all on the outside of people. They are inside people. They're coming from that place of being unclean. They're coming from that place of being broken. So don't ask how you can fix all the things outside. Ask how you can fix the place that they're coming from. Jesus says to the Pharisees, you are treating all the symptoms, 
but you're missing the disease. I was listening, I watched this week, and if you didn't see it, I would highly recommend that you go back and watch it, the interview with Dr. Brantley and Matt Lauer. Dr. Brantley, um, you may remember, was the missionary with Samaritan's Purse um, who um, contracted Ebola and then was flown to Atlanta, and he and the other woman from Samaritan's Purse there um, you know, have a clean bill of health and are, are now out. But he had an interview this week with Matt Lauer, and I would commend it to you because he is a strong Christian man and he didn't hide his faith at all in that interview. But the one thing that he said about the Ebola struggle and the Ebola epidemic, he said the thing that is so difficult is that we don't have a cure for the disease. There is still no cure for the disease. In fact, the doctors at Emory University in Atlanta admitted as much that all they were doing was trying to treat the symptoms in the hope that the body would somehow fight the disease. But when it comes to the disease itself, there's really no cure. There's no treatment out there. And what makes it so challenging uh, as, as the doctors and the, and the aid workers and the missionaries are trying to fight this epidemic that is, that is, that is growing and growing and growing is that they're, they're just having to treat the symptoms and hope and pray that along the way we can figure out a cure for the disease. And that's a terrible thing to be in that place where all you're doing is paying attention to the symptoms and missing not being able to take care of the bigger issue. And Jesus says to the Pharisees, this is all you're doing. You're treating the symptoms, the actions, the external, but you're missing the disease. And we do the same thing in our lives We try to go about fixing this feeling of brokenness inside of us, this feeling of being unclean. We go about trying to fix it in much the same way. We look to the things outside of ourselves, and we think to ourselves, if we can just figure out how to make the things outside of ourselves right, somehow it'll fix the things that are inside of us. And we do it in a number of ways. Some of us, we try religion. Some of us make a deal with God, that God, I'm trying to fix this feeling of inadequacy and and this void and this brokenness and this uncleanliness. I want to fix it. So here's, here's the deal. I will go to church every Sunday and I will do all the things that I'm supposed to do and I will live the life and I will look the part and I will say the right things and I'll do the right things. And we think to ourselves, if we could just get all of those religious pieces in order and we could go to the right um, services and we could say the right prayers and we could do all of the right things and we could get all those things in order, somehow that would fix the feeling of uncleanliness inside of us. But the problem with that is we never know when we've done enough. We never know when we've done enough to make up for the uncleanliness and to make up for the brokenness. We never know when God is satisfied. We're driven by guilt. And some of us don't go with religion. Some of us just go with behavior modification. We leave God out of it. And we think if we can just fix the way that we act outside of us, if we can go to the right meetings and we can read the right self-help books and we can listen to the right people on daytime television, if we can just modify our behavior, somehow modifying our external behavior will fix this feeling of brokenness and uncleanliness inside of us. And some of us think, that if we could mimic the culture, that if we could just listen to the right songs and and wear the right clothes and talk to the right people and have a certain level of success, if we could just have it all and we could be out there and and people loved us and and we we could succeed beyond our wildest dreams, that that would fix this feeling of uncleanliness 
and unbrokenness inside of us. The problem with that is folks like Robin Williams. You can have it all. It doesn't get rid of the brokenness. And there's these things that we try. Religion, behavior modification, mimicking the popular culture. We think that if we could fix the social structures, maybe that will be it. That the real problem, the reason we feel broken and unclean is because the social structures are so out of whack. And if we could fix the social structures, if we could make those right, then this feeling of being unclean and unbroken and that something's wrong with this world will go away. And I'm all for getting rid of injustice. And I'm all for fixing things where they're broken. But if we, for a minute, think that if we can get all of these social structures correct, that that will somehow take away the feeling of uncleanliness and brokenness in our own souls and in this world, we are mistaken. Governments and systems have been trying to do that for thousands of years. And no one's gotten it right. If we are going to become spiritually clean and get rid of that feeling of brokenness and uncleanliness, there's only one way it happens. And it's not by paying attention to what's on the outside. It's by paying attention to what's on the inside. Cleaning is a difficult thing. I wish I just went to the dentist and they cleaned my teeth once and I never had to go back again. That would be great. But it's not what happens. I go to the dentist, they clean my teeth, the bacteria returns, the plaque returns. I don't floss enough. And I have to go back again and have my teeth cleaned every six months. Anytime we clean something in this world, it gets dirty again. And even despite our best efforts, we can't clean all those things that we don't see. That little bottle of hand sanitizer that we have cleans 99.94% of germs. It doesn't clean all of them. But when it comes to our hearts, there is a way that our hearts can be made clean forever. And there is a way that our hearts can be made clean 100%. And that is by asking God to come and do the work that only he can do. And to come inside of us and to make our hearts clean. To fix what is broken. To fix what is unclean. He is the only one who can do it. So maybe you're here this morning and you're in that place where you're feeling rejected, you're feeling alone, you're feeling lost, you're feeling hopeless, you're feeling depressed, you're feeling guilty, you're feeling shameful. You just feel like something deep down inside of your soul is broken. All our efforts to do things on the outside of us will never fix that problem. There is only one who can do it, and that is Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, there was a man named David, of David and Goliath fame. And I'll invite our worship team um, forward as we close. In the Old Testament, there's a man named David. You know David and Goliath? You know that David. When he was king of Israel, 
David did something that made him very unclean. Maybe you know the story. David's men were out in battle, and David, as they were away, saw the wife of Uriah, one of his, his uh, warriors, and, and he ended up having an affair with Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. Bathsheba became pregnant, and David, in his haste to cover up the whole thing, sent Uriah back out into battle and made sure that he was killed in battle so he would never find out. So David, of David and Goliath, the one who is the hero in most of the stories, is an adulterer and a murderer. He's unclean. He's broken. And so what does David do in that moment? When David's found out, and there's a prophet named Nathan, and you can read the story, a prophet named Nathan uh, comes to David and calls him out on his actions, says, Nathan, or David, you're an adulterer and a murderer, and you need to make this right. David does the only thing that truly works. He sat down and he wrote a prayer. And he came before God and he said, God, create in me a clean heart, O God. David knew there was nothing that he could do. He couldn't go say enough prayers. He couldn't go to enough services. He couldn't help enough people across the street. I mean, he couldn't give enough money. There was nothing that he could do externally that would make up for his sin. Nothing that he could do that would make up for what he did wrong. And so he sat down and he prayed and he said, God, create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and replace a steadfast spirit in me. And later in that prayer, he says, you do not desire sacrifices or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings, all those external things. The sacrifices that God desires are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. All of us feel broken. All of us feel spiritually unclean. The only way to have our hearts made clean is for us to come before God and say, God, would you create a clean heart in me? Would you do what I cannot do? Would you come in and by your spirit cleanse me and make me whole and make me pure? And then the actions that I do will not be because I'm trying to be a good person, will not be because I'm trying to elevate myself, will not be because I am trying under my own power to fix things and make things right, but because I have been forever internally changed by Jesus Christ. He has made me whole, he has made me clean, and so I will live to glorify him. I would invite you to bow your head and close your eyes. God, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that you make us clean. God, thank you that where we are dirty, you have provided a solution and an answer. God, thank you that when we cry out to you, you hear us and that you cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We glorify you in Jesus' name. Would you stand and let's sing this prayer together.